The Worker Learner Podcast is brought to you by the Professional Learning Hub, Griffith University's platform for executive and professional education. Bringing together the expertise of Griffith University's academics and research centres, our professional learning is designed to deliver creative solutions for the workplace of tomorrow. Whether you are looking for opportunities for yourself or your team, we have you covered. Good afternoon, I'm Dr Saffron Benner. I am the Sustainable Development Goals Manager here at Griffith hosting this episode of the Worker Learner podcast. Just before we begin today, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we're talking today, the Yuggera and Turrbal peoples, and the elders past, present and emerging, whose knowledges and culture are integral to a sustainable present and future. So I'm talking today with Dr Kimberly Camrus, Director of Climate Positive Brisbane 2023. 2032 and former sustainability manager at Griffith. Welcome Kimberly. Thank you Saffron, it's great to be back at Griffith. (laughs) (laughs) And great to have you back. So I thought maybe you could explain a little bit first up about your role as Director of Climate Positive Brisbane for the Olympics 2032. Uh, What does that involve and what does it mean perhaps a little definition about what it means to be climate positive rather than carbon neutral Mm. or net zero. Absolutely. So my role is really uh, leading the sustainability and climate program for the 2032 Olympic and Paralympic Games from a Queensland government perspective. Mm -hmm. So we'll be working really significantly with the Organisation Committee for the Games or the OCOG to actually work out what do we need to do now to make sure that we're in the position to deliver a Games that's uh, climate positive, that's circular, um, that that is also uh, bringing benefits both environmentally and socially to Queensland more broadly. So um, it's a really fantastic opportunity. uh, As many of you would be aware, um, the 10-year runway to Brisbane 2032 allows us to really maximise the legacy opportunities that we can realise as a result of the Games. So we're really in the stage at at the present of... Um, translating all of the commitments that were made to the International Olympic Committee across the various themes of sustainability. Often when people think about the Games, they think climate and they think environment, and that's obviously really important. But sustainability commitments have been made across uh, themes as diverse as infrastructure and natural sites to workforce and even mobility. So there's a lot to work through. Um, And we're starting to develop partnerships, including with Griffith and other universities, on how we can really deliver on those commitments collectively. I'll also just add um, uh, our role and our team at the Department of Environment and Science is also driving climate policy more broadly. So both in terms of what government itself is doing to reduce emissions and to mitigate climate risk, but also what we can do across the state uh, in partnership with local governments, with industry, with small businesses, for example. And I think everyone's really excited by the opportunities presented by the Games. So hopefully we can accelerate broader climate action as a result. And you ask a really good question around climate positivity. Uh, The IOC, the International Olympic Committee, has actually established that as a a benchmark uh, for for Brisbane 2032. And they have three pillars uh, that they refer to when it comes to being climate positive. 
The first two um, are kind of more in line with what you'd expect from carbon neutrality or net zero. So they are about, uh, the first one is about reducing emissions as much as possible associated with the planning and delivery of the event and in line with the Paris Agreement. So making sure that mitigation of emissions is the primary focus, that whatever can be done to reduce those emissions and avoid them is, is done um, through the planning of infrastructure and other games related activities. The second pillar is to offset uh, more than 100% of any residual emissions that are left over. Um, offsetting can be controversial, of course, and we really need to make sure that we're working to maximise the opportunities associated with offsetting for the games, ensuring that they're local, high-quality offsets that hopefully can bring social benefits, maybe even to, to our First Nations communities. So. Um, they're the first two pillars and, and they could really be summarised as, as uh, meeting net zero or carbon neutrality outcomes. What makes climate positivity different is um, the third pillar. And that is a, quite a broad pillar, but essentially speaks to using the games as a catalyst for long lasting uh, climate action and change. Um, and really we need to work collectively to, to define and refine what that means. Um, and essentially, um, that's really looking at how can we, in the next uh, nine years and beyond, embed climate considerations to what we do more broadly um, as a government um, and, and as communities. And I think there's a real opportunity there to, to embed those considerations in a way that actually has longer lasting benefits. Fantastic. Um, you've got a huge scope of work ahead of you. Um, and it's interesting that future focus mm. or that, that future um, perspective that you need to have. For now, though, 10 years isn't a lot of time. No. So I'm interested in what it, you think it will take to get Brisbane climate positive, yes. particularly given that it isn't just about environmental impact. It is about, uh, can you talk a little bit more maybe about the worker um, context yes, and absolutely. the mobility and accessibility issues that need to be addressed. Absolutely. And I think you make a really good point in terms of that lead up or that runway, they're calling it to 2032. There will be different um, chunks of work that need to occur at different times. And we're at that really foundational stage now. I think at the, at the stage that we're in now, there are a couple of main focus areas. The first is infrastructure. Um, obviously, decisions being made about venues and villages for the games are happening now. So how do we embed sustainability considerations and requirements in any of the design, but also the construction and delivery of those, of those um, pieces of infrastructure? Uh, I think it's really critical at the moment that we don't look at individual venues separately, mm. but we're looking across the portfolio of that infrastructure suite to identify what opportunities exi exist in terms of, you know, um, circular economy opportunities or the like across that suite of infrastructure. Um, in the commitments we've made for the Games, uh, there are commitments to achieving six-star Green Star uh, or the equivalent Infrastructure Sustainability Council rating for venues, villages and precincts. And the good thing about that is the uh, Green Star tool is aligned, as you would know, to the Sustainable Development Goals. Mm -hmm. So it really um, covers the breadth of sustainability across environmental, social, economic and governance. And as such, you know, all of the those involved in planning for that for that infrastructure suite need to really examine what we can achieve across that breadth of sustainability. And that's a little bit different from how government would normally build um, build things. 
Um, some really significant uh, um, uh, commitments have been made around uh, around workforce, as you say, and that's really looking at both um, diversity and inclusion in the workplace. So setting up um, structures so that any games-related employment opportunities are are really trying to maximise um, um, uh, the diversity and inclusion uh, that, that's set up in that in that work in that workforce but also looking at supply chains and the minimization or the eradication, I should say, of modern slavery or anything like that in the entire supply chains for the games. The other thing I think that's an initial priority um, is, is really around market readiness. It's all well and good for us to say, you know, in 2028, we're only going to procure um, low emissions, sustainable goods and services. But if we haven't readied the local Queensland market to do that, well, then we're going to be in a little bit of a difficult um, position. So there is a significant volume of work happening now um, from a Queensland government perspective in engaging small businesses and engaging industry to really help them build their capacity uh, when it comes to sustainability. Um, it's really interesting because I, your PhD is in regenerative futures. Um, and I'm kind of interested in how something like accommodation, for example, for the games. Mm. So if we think about the the, the accommodation crisis yeah. uh, nationally at the moment, how could something, maybe give me a specific example, how do you think something like the Olympic Games, which is obviously going to invest mm. a lot of money in um, accommodation and venues and, and capacity to host a lot of visiting athletes and tourists... And, and perhaps will come under a lot of criticism for spending that money yes. uh, during a time of um, accommodation crisis nationally. So how can we leverage that investment now mm. for long term to help alleviate yes. the housing crisis into the future? Um, so that's a really interesting question. I think when it comes to looking at uh, the infrastructure program of work being done for the, for the Games, there needs to be a focus not just on the four weeks um, for the Olympic and Paralympic Games, but also how we utilise that infrastructure in the lead up to the Games and beyond. So uh, some of the uh, infrastructure development that's occurring is at a precinct scale. Mm. Um, so at North Shore Hamilton, for example, um, some is using existing infrastructure on the Gold Coast that we had for the Commonwealth Games. But really there's a commitment to looking at how those um, uh, facilities can be used on an ongoing basis um, in the lead up to the Games. I actually think there's real opportunity, given that we're getting a heightened degree of investment, which yes, could be criticised, that we wouldn't get otherwise um, into this type of infrastructure. There's an opportunity for us to harness that and to, to utilise that for multiple purposes. Uh, for example, even today we've, we've been at a workshop session at Griffith and there's been discussion around, you know, um, how uh, Griffith's assets maybe that are being underutilised now could be utilised for the games. But there's also conversations that could occur there around how they could uh, be utilised to address housing issues now and in the lead up to 2032. Yeah, I was just thinking that that's really interesting because if you think about having to incorporate green design principles mm. or green design requirements into that housing now, and we were also talking at the workshop this morning about how the Olympics can mm. influence things like policy, yes. government policy, government strategy. So is it possible then to look at those green design principles, for example, to impact on, ongoing building and infrastructure, but the redevelopment of existing infrastructure that we have now for to solve the housing crisis that we have now? Mm, absolutely. And I think um, the integration of 
of the principles that that are required to meet the sustainability uh, commitments for the games abroad, as we've said. There's also a real commitment to um, having First Nations-led um, design occur at an at a individual country level uh, for the different venues and villages. But I think you're right. Um, the real opportunity here is, is how can we... Uh, drive policy change that's accelerated by us hosting the games. So what we do for uh, the infrastructure program, for example, for the games is is really important. But we're spending um, a lot more money as a government currently on um, on health construction, for example. Mm. Uh, so how could we integrate similar principles in the way that hospitals are designed and constructed across the state and require that to be gone, done on an ongoing basis for any future construction? And I think that's where we will see the long-lasting legacy benefits from the Games if we can um, drive broader policy change across the board. Uh, using the Games as a case study of how it's done, that's where we're going to achieve that long-lasting change and meet that third pillar of climate positivity. Yeah, sure. So I'm thinking also that would impact something like procurement and supply chain yes. because the same principle, we know that supply chains are challenging in a yes. post-COVID world. So how can we mm. impact uh, improvement in supply chains and procurement yep. um, sustainably moving yes. forward? Absolutely. And I think um, at the moment, um, there's a lot of work being done on the Queensland procurement policy. And that can sound a little bit dull. But if we integrate um, emissions reduction targets, embodied carbon targets, you know, circularity targets in policy, then the the market understands that that's the expectation when you're um, trying to be involved in any government procurement. Um, So if we can set that up now, that it's not just a, a condition of procuring for the games, but for any government procurement, um, we really start to, to uh, incentivise the businesses and industry to improve their sustainability, uh, to get certified as well, um, and, um, and to um, embed that into their business practices. I think it's important, though, that um, uh, we don't just leave industry and businesses completely to their own devices and expect them to drive this change. I really feel that uh, government particularly has an, uh, a responsibility to work with the small business sector uh, through partnerships to guide them along that uh, along that process. We have a, a program at Department of Environment and Science called EcoBiz, and that's delivered in in partnership with uh, Business Chamber Queensland. And that's a really a good example of um, how we can, in partnership, we can support small businesses to become more sustainable, and then be part of those um, those supply chains moving forward. Yeah, so it feels like a lot of the change that needs to happen starts at a fundamental level of mindset. Like a lot of this feels like we have to change our mindset about how we do things. I'm also a big believer that sustainability requires leadership and behaviour change. So what kinds of things do you think just most people can or should do in terms of mindset change and behaviour change to support sustainability particularly as we're, we're leading up to a, a global mm. event where yeah. we can all maybe showcase our, our achievements and our impact. What, what kinds of mindsets and behaviours do you think we need to change? The mindset um, thing is really interesting. Um, uh, you could also describe that as you know, the way you view the world, you know, your worldview, because um, when, we, when you mentioned earlier uh, uh, this idea of regeneration and regenerative futures, I think... Previously, um, when we think about sustainability, uh, we've often thought about limiting limiting harm, uh, mm. maybe even neutralising harm. 
But human behaviour has caused a lot of um, ecological and social issues to date. You know, we've, we've accumulated debt in that regard. Mm. And we also need to think about how can we act in a way that doesn't, not only does not do more harm moving into the future, but kind of redress, redresses or um, uh, rejuvenates, um, regenerates against the, the, the harm that we've already done, that, that, that kind of pays back that ecological debt, if you like. Mm. And that is a bit of a mindset um, shift. Um, I think it's from a, from a government perspective, um, there's a, sh- a shift uh, needed in terms of how we work um, and there needs to be an openness and a willingness to really establishing more innovative partnerships across sectors with, with ter- the tertiary sector, connecting research into practice, but also with industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that mindset point is, is really critical. It's really interesting. And even just to stop and reflect on what our current mindset is, I think is important. In terms of it at, at an individual level, I think it's easy to think that the games particularly are a long way off um, and to think potentially that they may not necessarily have resonance for, for us as, as individuals. But this is an opportunity for a region to, to really change and accelerate. Um, uh, a lot of the initiatives that, that will occur as a result of the games are going to change how we live moving forward. So. Um, for me, I think it's about examining how we currently live in, in this space and in this region and thinking about, even at a really micro level, um, how we can incorporate some of those principles in our daily life, how we can embrace where possible active and um, and um, and public transport even, how we can think about um, the degree to which we, we rely on, on driving from place to place. I mean, the games venues won't have car parking um, and, and the, any parking that is there will be through EVs. So... Um, I think it's it's really interesting to use the games as a bit of a catalyst to re-examine what we do. I also think it's an opportunity at an individual level to get involved in the planning for the games. Uh, there's a lot of planning around um, uh, what some of the major legacy projects could look like that are associated with the games. Um, and I think now, uh, in you know, the first half of 2023 is where, uh, you know, the broader community can actually get involved in that process. So what kinds of things could people do right now to start preparing for the Games? If you have a small business, if yep. you have a, an organisation, what kinds of things should we be doing now to yeah. prepare? So I think there's a few things. I think from a sustainability perspective, it's an old saying, but it's true, you can't manage what you don't measure. I think people need to get a full picture of... Um, what their sustainability impact is um, uh, from from emissions, waste and water perspective, uh, at least. Um, if you know, you're know you a small business, there are programs that help you do that for free, like EcoBiz. Um, and there are also broader programs as well. I think where possible, um, different industries can also um, uh, start to regularly rate through an, a, a third-party accredited certifier, like Neighbours, if you're a hotel or an office building, um, um, to start to see what that performance looks like year on year mm-hmm. and to be able to disclose that more broadly. So there's a lot of um, uh, discussion at the moment around things like greenwashing. It's really easy to say that you're a sustainable business or an industry body or, or whatever the case may be. But if you can demonstrate that and prove that through a third-party certification, that holds a lot more weight. And um, moving forward, um, uh, that potentially will be required uh, for, for broader procurement activities. Um, so I think f- from a small business perspective, I think it's really about tapping into the existing support mechanisms that, that are out there mm. to get market ready for the games. Mm. Um, in our conversations with Business Chamber Queensland, who used to be the, the Chamber of Commerce and Industry Queensland, 
um, uh, they've recently done a, a, a report uh, based on their members around the current state of sustainability of, of our small business, small to medium business supply chains mm-hmm. in Queensland. Um, and that's really interesting because it gives a, a reflection on the current state, but also really indicates that small businesses are aware mm-hmm. that they need to move in terms of embracing sustainability as a core part of their business. Um, and that that makes sense not only economically, but but also you know in terms of corporate social responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was also just realising that I think the gains is a great example of something that's tried but true, which is to uh, think global, act local. Yes. Um, and I know that you attended, so there's a, there's a very global perspective, obviously, with your games, and you attended a reception hosted by the Honorary Consul of the Kingdom of the Netherlands. That's right, yes, recently. it was for the King's birthday. <laughs> I know. So aside from what on earth does one wear, wear to an event like that, um, what lessons do you think we can learn from other countries that are very practical yeah. um, and are applicable? Because other countries are different contexts to us. But That's what right. can we learn from other countries, but also from the hosting of Olympics at other countries? What yes. lessons are you taking? Absolutely. Um, the answer to what you wear is uh, orange when it's the king's birthday, and it's uh, for okay. the Netherlands. That's the, that's their their colour. Of course. Um, uh, but in terms of what you can learn, I think the Netherlands is a fantastic example. Netherlands is a fantastic example, and where they're really leading is in the area of the circular economy. People hear that term and think. A, is that recycling? Um, Or B, what is it? Um, And really the circular economy is about actually uh, uh, much more than recycling. It's about how we keep using materials that we've already got in the system um, again and again and again, or we maximise the use that we get out of any materials. Um, So it's, again, a a different uh, mindset. But when it comes to applying that in practice, the Netherlands has um, integrated into building policy requirements uh, that uh, construction uh, providers, builders, developers need to deliver against when it comes to circularity. So it's it's taken you know this great idea in theory, translated it into what it means when you're building things or redeveloping cities or um, uh, and actually then stipulated to, to to industry this is what you're going to have to do if you're going to be able to to be part of the market in the Netherlands and they're they're achieving really significant outcomes by minimizing virgin materials that they're using um, and keeping materials in the system for much longer obviously reducing what goes to landfill so um, or, or what gets incinerated in their case so um, it's it's a really fantastic example of how we're learning um, I think from, from from countries like that um, on a on a broader basis, previously uh, there was less of a focus around sustainability for the games, quite mm-hmm. frankly. And, and if you look back at um, major events, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, it was um, much less of a focus. Sydney started to drive um, um, a, a lot of action in terms of sustainable buildings, actually, um, in, in the year 2000, which was a, quite a turning point. Um, and out of that, uh, the Green Building Council of Australia was actually developed and, and flourished. But in terms of what we're learning from, from previous games now, um, we've got, uh, obviously, um, engagement with, with Paris particularly. And I think where Paris is really interesting is that they've really thought about how to engage the individual citizen or person in, in, in the games um, and also the individual athlete. So they're use, using technology to a really significant degree um, through apps and different uh, other different mechanisms to engage individuals in actions at a kind of individual daily level that they can do to be part of setting the scene for a, a sustainable games. 
And they've also got what's called um, the sustainability coach um, for athletes that they're, they're using um, as a digital tool to help them make more sustainable decisions as well. So I think that's for us um, something that's really interesting because it's about that people-based engagement and how you can use technology to do that. Yeah, and absolutely. That's obviously opening up inclusivity and accessibility yes. using technology that's right. in really interesting ways. So yep. it sounds like this Olymp- the 2032 Olympics will be quite different from previous Olympics. Um, what is it that you hope... What, what's your ideal Olympics? What, what, does it, what does that look like for mm. you? What do you hope that uh, the Olympic Games 2032 looks like and and beyond? What do you think Brisbane will look like? Yeah. So from an event-centred perspective, um, I think for those four weeks, I, I hope that it looks like an event that, um, that everyone can be part of, uh, no matter, you know, uh, physical, um, neurodiverse um, requirements that we all have that are different. Um, I hope that it's something that all Queenslanders feel that they're, they can be involved in either physically or virtually from a from a more traditional sustainability perspective um, I hope that it um, uh, um, is carbon positive it is net positive in terms of of emissions and and I think we can really do that I, I, I think that that is completely possible but I think that there's sometimes there's a bit of myopic focus on carbon and um, we need to be more holistic when we think about sustainability. How can we utilise the games to be um, uh, nature positive? How can we think about uh, what the greening of our region or our cities looks like? Um, how can we create um, biodiversity corridors in between our venues, villages and the like uh, for Brisbane 2032? I think that's a really um, interesting focus area and perhaps a way we can set these games uh, apart from Paris or LA, for example. Um, beyond 2032, I think that the IOC's five sustainability themes provide a really great framework for planning um, to change our, our region in a sustainable way. Um, those, those are climate, infrastructure and natural sites, mobility, responsible uh, sourcing and um, workforce. And I think if we were to consider what that looks like beyond 2032, I think that it um, means that we make decisions in different ways. I think that it means that sustainability in the holistic sense of the word is embedded in all decision making and all policy. And I really hope um, that um, in the future um, we we actually legislate um, uh, um, climate and other environmental targets uh, in Queensland. So it's Um, It's something that no one can walk away from. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Uh, You've got a huge scope of work ahead of you. What are some of the biggest roadblocks? What what is your obstacles? What are your key obstacles to get around to achieve this vision? That's a great question. I think um, this requires a different way of working. It requires collaboration across all layers of government um, in a way that's potentially quite unique. So... um, it's an opportunity, uh, but also a challenge to set up mechanisms whereby local, state and federal governments can work together collectively to achieve a, a common outcome. I think that is um, uh, challenging, but also really exciting. Um, I think the other really key challenge is in some areas there is uh, the means or the technology to address emissions. Um, uh, that are generated through games-related activities, and in some areas there's not. And a good example of that is um, a lot of the emissions um, associated with the games are expected to come from spectator travel. 
So people flying here from either interstate or overseas. How do we account for that? Um, how do we invest in, in technology that um, is moving towards a more sustainable aviation sector, uh, but also acknowledge there potentially will be the need for us to offset some of those emissions? Um, and we really need to be careful about how we do that well um, and, and how we do that in a way that's um, credible uh, and that actually is bringing benefits to Queensland. So I, I really think that, that that aviation and that those emissions uh, associated with flights is going to be one of the really big sticking points and the big challenges. The final challenge is, um, oh, there, are, there are many, one, of the, the, the one that comes to mind is um, around temporary uh, infrastructure. So really embedding how, uh, into how we think about the games, this idea of um, uh, not necessarily having permanent um, pieces of infrastructure, but overlaying with temporary and reusable infrastructure um, uh, to make uh, existing venues uh, suitable to host the games. But that takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of um, um, uh, planning to establish local industries that can develop these reusable, hireable uh, products that are fit for a sporting event. So I think that's a, a big challenge, but also potentially an opportunity for Queensland industry. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you know, I find at universities similar challenges mm. in that SDG 17, Partnerships for yes. the Goals, is perhaps the most important goal. But building that collaboration yes. is, is always challenging and aviation emissions are also a challenge for a lot of universities who rely on that industry yes, for absolutely. their, their research fundamental business. And, yeah, exactly. Research, and I think it's about balancing those different elements of sustainability, isn't it? That you know, we understand that the, there are economic or um, even education-based drivers for university travel, for example, um, and, uh, you know, how do you balance that with considerations around emissions it's it's not a simple answer um, um, and I think um, I agree that the partnerships for the goals is often the it's, you know it's really the thread that runs through all of the other SDGs um, but it's moving us beyond one-to-one -one partnerships to really genuine multi-stakeholder partnerships um, and that is requires trust yeah, fantastic. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think collaboration, trust and those partnerships are going to be crucial mm. for all of us, yes. uh, no matter where we're working. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Saffron. Best of luck with the Games and uh, we look forward to participating one way or another. Absolutely. Thank you so much. No problem. The Worker Learner Podcast was brought to you by the Professional Learning Hub, Griffith University's platform for executive and professional education.